Hey, welcome back to the Andrew Ramon Show. What's up, everyone? I just want to welcome you. If this is your first time or you're an OG and you've been listening for a long time, thank you so much for tuning in. Hey, make sure to subscribe on YouTube. Hit the, um, no- the notification bell. You know, I've never said that before. A lot of YouTubers say that. Hit the notification bell. That way you don't miss a single episode because, folks, this episode, I'm going to ask you a favor. If you're listening or if you're watching, put your seatbelt on because this is going to get, I got a tippy toe on a couple subjects for the, for this episode. Um, this is one that I've been kind of chewing on, thinking on for the last couple of weeks. And it, it all started because I recently finished a, a classic novel by English author uh, George Orwell. Now, you might have heard of George Orwell through some of his classics books like Animal Farm. That's a great one. You probably read that in high school or in middle school. And he has another dystopian novel called 1984. You might have heard about it already. Now, this novel tells the story of a guy named Winston who lives in a totalitarian state. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the novel because this is an almost prophetic book, if you will. And, and, and I, yeah, I did say the word prophetic, even though this guy was not a Christian whatsoever. But it's almost prophetic because it has some alarming similarities of that totalitarian state in many of the cl- the political and cultural climate that we're living in today. So I want to share with you some of those concerning, if you will, similarities and in what hope there is still uh, to make a difference. So you don't want to miss a single moment of this episode. Well, folks, I want to introduce to you almost my last mug of my collection. We've gone through like, this is 54 episode. I know I'm losing track what episode this is. But we've gone through like so many mugs. You got to be proud of me. These are a lot of mugs. But this one was given to me by one of my best friends, uh, Bradford. And I really, obviously, I, I love that guy. And he gave it to me whenever they went to Colorado because he knows that I collect mugs. So this one is hanging on my wall right here. You know, one of the things I got to tell you this about Bradford. And if, he, if you listen to this episode, I hope I'm not exposing us. Uh, but one of the things about Bradford and I is we actually used to do speech and debate together. We, we partner up on... Uh, what was called team policy. Oh my gosh, that was a long time ago, uh, where you would debate, it was two versus two, and you would diver- debate policy. So in that case, it was uh, debating about election and election processes. Um, so we we debated together, and we argued that we should abolish the Electoral College um, back in the day. And then we tried to argue for, uh, what was it, online voting, I think, like going strictly online voting. Let's just say that neither him or I were very good at preparing, and we kind of winged the whole thing. We, we never advanced in any sort of semifinals or quarterfinals. We got destroyed almost every round, even though there was like one or two rounds we did win. So anyways, that's just a couple memories that I have with Bradford. But um, in today's episode, like I said, I hope that you have your seatbelt fastened, folks, because this is, this is I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not joking. This is no joke. I spend a lot of time and... And I spent a lot of time preparing for this episode. So I want to give you first a little bit of background. And if you're not familiar with this novel of 1984, well, George Orwell, whose actual birth name was Eric Blair, very interesting that he chose. He had a couple different writer names that he could have chosen, uh, he said in one of his uh, journals, but he chose George Orwell. So he was born in 1903 and, and tragically passed away at a very young age. I think it was right around 47 
from lung from weakness of the lungs caused by pneumonia, which is such a shame. He was such, uh, I would say, a gift. God had given him such a ability to write. Now, he did not believe in God. Um, and actually, for a lot of time, he, he held humanity as the hope, you know, for the world, if you will. Uh, but the closer he looked at humanity, he also lost hope in it as well. So he didn't believe in God. And then he ended up thinking that humanity was not all that well suited, you know, to be the rescuer of our own problems. And actually, we did a whole episode on this called uh, We Are Not the Answer and how if we're the problem, how can we be the answer? Right. Well, he saw that. And Orwell was what we could call an old intellectual. Now, we've done an episode called Don't Think Like an Intellectual, where we expose ideas by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh, which we, in English we just call him Rousseau, uh, by, and he was in the 1600s, I believe, and then by Bertrand Russell, I mean, by who else? By Karl Marx, Sartre. So we expose intellectuals and the hypocrisy of their lives and, the, and really the... the um, the idiotic ideas that they had, they sounded good, but they never really worked because all these intellectuals remember that they, what they put first were ideas and, and people were second. So they loved humanity, but they hated the human. A lot of these things. Well, Orwell was an intellectual in the sense that he did believe that ideas could somehow reshape the world in a better way, but he had a genuine interest in people. And that's important to know because that's when he understood the problem in humanity. So unlike other other intellectuals, that's why he is fair to say old intellectuals. Actually, in, in one of the uh, author Paul Johnson, for example, in his book uh, called Intellectuals, he talks a little bit about Orwell's novel novels because Orwell understood that people came before ideas. And actually, first he was a critic of capitalism, and I'm not saying he ever really supported it, uh, but he changed his critique near the end of his days to exposing the fraudulent utopias that were promised by many intellectuals. So Paul Johnson actually in his book called Intellectuals, great read, by the way, it's like super long, uh, but I was able to finish it and it really exposes it, exposes all the lives of these so-called uh, geniuses of history. Again, they thought, I'm not going to discredit them. Obviously, they were great philosophers, but very, very dangerous ideas. Well, this is what he says. Uh, he says, Animal Farm in 1984 were essentially critiques of realized abstractions, of the totalitarian control over mind and body, which an embodied utopia demanded. It is, as he put it, of the perversions to which a centralized economy is liable. Okay, so what does this mean? Well, for hundreds of years, there have been intellectuals promising some type of utopia. Where there's no injustice, there's no inequality, there's no evil, all you have to do is obey them. Sounds kind of familiar, right? We've seen this promotion of socialism, where fairness and the eradication of poverty is promised. Now, all these things are promised, but not necessarily delivered, uh, which is the history of socialism, actually. And But it's an economic utopia. Or we have the more recent coming in. Again, it's not recent. It's old. But social justice movements promising an elimination of racism, you know, from the face of the earth through anti-racism measures and kind of bringing this utopia of of equality, uh, of some uh, utopia of equality and utopia of equity. Well, for this to work, just like Paul Johnson said, there has to be a full control of people, not only in the physical, like economically, for example, that that's what socialism ends up doing, and then also through uh, communism, but also in their thoughts. 
1984, Orwell explores how this looks like. How does it look like for a state to control not just the people's actions, but also try to control their thoughts? Well, I want to kind of paint the picture for you a little bit as as we move. So I want you to really pay attention to what I'm saying. Uh, Don't don't get lost because I think it's going to really set the way for the rest of the episode. Well, you, you follow the life of Winston. His name is Winston. He grew up in what is known what is London, but it's not recognizable anymore as London. It's the country of Oceania. It's not the country of England anymore. It is Oceania. Now, Winston is a middle mage and who works for the party. The party, which is a life uh, representation of a federal agency, right? He, he works for the federal government, basically, of the country of Oceania. Now, the party is headed by someone called Big Brother. If you've ever heard this, the phrase, Big Brother's watching you, this is where it comes from. And actually, we're going to talk about that phrase in, in, in a second. It's what the title of this episode is all about. So Big Brother, no one has ever seen Big Brother other than his face is plastered on posters and images on every single wall in every single street corner. And every poster has written on it, Big Brother is watching you. It's kind of, I don't know why I think like a Russian accent. I mean, maybe because Russia was communist for a very long time. Uh, Big brother is watching you. That's like, that. that's what it said, basically, all, all in Russian, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, and that was true. No, no matter where you were, no matter how low you try to speak, Big brother was always watching. There were always cameras or there was always someone listening. Now, in every house, they had what's called a telescreen. This is fascinating. Think about this. Orwell wrote this, I think it was in the 40s. He wrote this before, you know, TVs were in every home, before there was radio, before there was an, an, an Alexa listening to everything that you said or a, or a Siri listening. This was before any of that. Yet Orwell kind of predicted that there would be a telescreen, well, he called telescreen, but a television that was given by the government in every single household and you could not turn it off. In fact, the telescreen was also a recorder. It was recording everything that you were saying and was watching you at all times. It was live watching you. So one of the examples he, he puts is at 7 a.m. if you were part of the party, uh, you know, working in the party, uh, the alarm would go off and you would have to exercise with your comrades. They use that word by a very familiar link, um, term used in, in leftist the- theology, if you will, or leftist ideology with Marxism, um, critical race theory. It's all comrades. Anyways, going back to to the party. So they have these telescreens that could never be turned off and were recording and listening to every word you said. And the party controls not only the, uh, the news, but they also control the economy. And they control basically everything. And here's, here's the key of this whole story, that unless you are part of the inner party, everybody lives in rations because there's an ongoing war. Even though no one has ever experienced the war, sometimes there's random missiles, but no one knows where those come from. There's always an ongoing war. And Winston works in the Ministry of Truth. Now, I'm giving you all these details because I'm going to start making comparisons and connections. So I, I hope that you're, you're, you're staying along and not, not, not getting lost here. So Winston works in the Ministry of Truth. Now, the Ministry of Truth is actually contrary to the truth because its job is rewriting history according to the current narrative. So, for example, if they have always been at war with a certain country that they had, and then all of a sudden they decide to 
to go at war to a different country, well, the Ministry of Truth would rewrite history books so that they would line up with whatever Big Brother said. So if Big Brother, for example, said, all right, folks, we are. I know we've been at war with X country. Well, now we're going to be at war with Y country, and we're going to pretend like we've always been at war with them since the very beginning. And then the Ministry of Truth would go back to newspapers, to books, and rewrite history so it would fit the current narrative and prove um, Big Brother infallible, right? Prove that he, he never lied. He never said anything that wasn't true. But sadly, not many cared enough to pay attention to the details, to the changing stories that Big Brother made. But Winston did. He wasn't the only one. You see, he remembered that his city wasn't always like the rundown city that it was. Unlike what he's been told, London was actually a good city. It was a, it was a lot better than it was now, but he's just been told that it was way worse before when the capitalists ran ran everything. And it was way uh, it was just Big Brother that made it a, a lot better. You see how they shifted reality. He, now, he couldn't say his opinions out loud because he, I, he would be convicted of what's called a thought crime. This is fascinating. Again, this is in the 1940s when, yeah, sure, you, if, if you actually were um, – by, by the 1940s, there's already a lot of speculation. Even in the U.S., New York being kind of a, a hotspot of communist agents um, and, and all that. So, yeah, when, whenever you, you were uh, – accused of being a spy or anything like that there there, there needed to be actual evidence but in this country there was things like the thought crime thought crime was literally thinking against big brother that was it that's all you needed it's just a thought it's not an action it's the thought that got you in trouble and that's what the thought police came in they would arrest you and you would never be seen again not by doing something wrong but by thinking incorrectly this is powerful what what this novel is telling us because reality was whatever the party wanted it to be. Reality was what Big Brother said. If Big Brother said that 2 plus 2 equals 5, then guess what? 2 plus 2 equals 5. And at the same time, they would agree that 2 plus 2 might equal 4 at one day. But for now, it's 5. That no matter what, you had no reference of the past because they eliminated everything. So they would make you think that you're the crazy one. No, no, 2 plus 2 has always equals 5. What are you thinking? Isn't that crazy? It's, it's absolutely crazy. Well, what's even crazier are the similarities. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because there's, there are some alarming similarities between this, this uh, prophetic novel and what we're starting to live. And I, I'm, I'm going to talk more personally here in the United States. You, have my, you might have already spotted some similarities. Whether it was Big Brother spying you, as many think, and I think there's obviously some truth on it, um, the government listening in or spying on us, right? When your computer camera turns on all of a sudden, things like that, they're listening on to your conversations. I've always said, yo, if if um, if Jeff Bezos is listening to my conversation on Alexa, I mean, hey, at least he gets to listen to the Andrew Ramon show every time I rec- record it. You know, I'm just saying, that's totally cool. Keep listening in, Jeff Bezos. Hopefully, you know, I don't know if you know Jesus, but uh, hopefully you do get to know Jesus through this. So that's one similarity, or maybe the similarity of rewriting history. And we saw this through what uh, we call woke initiatives and called like the 1619 Project. Now, if this is the first time that you're listening, you're like, wait a second, I like the 1619 Project. What are you talking about? Well, I dedicated a whole episode uh, to this project um, when I said racism is not in our DNA. And that was uh, probably one of the longest episodes we've had. And we talk about that project. So check, check that out. But that is one way that the, the culture and society is trying to rewrite our history. Or how about cancel culture? 
canceling any trace of you online if you just think differently. If you commit a thought crime, well, careful, because if you commit a a thought crime, it's over. I mean, I'm not the only one who's seen accounts canceled, deplatformed, censored for a difference of opinion. I mean, have you seen that too? A lot of times, and here's the thing, this is fascinating. We we have to understand that that social media in I have yet to watch that documentary. I think it's called The Social Dilemma that really explains this. But our, the way we, we get news and information is very tailored, very tailored through, I mean, really Google is deciding for us what we see. And, it, and that's kind of scary now, right? Google is deciding what information we see, what information we don't see. So that's what we, we have to be we have to be ready not to become biased, not to become biased and just say, oh my gosh, this whole thing about censoring and all that, that's not even real. It's not happening that much. Well, if you don't believe me, let's take the example of Mike Lindell. Now, Mike Lindell is the founder and CEO of MyPillow. Now, you might know MyPillow. I always saw those commercials. I'm yet to have bought uh, MyPillow, but it looks amazing. Very, very successful company. He's a, he's a man of God. He's a Christian. He's a believer. And he was a very uh, vocal supporter of President Trump, of f- former President Trump. And and he was all with him and believing the, the election was stolen and everything. And guess what? Just as the president's Twitter got canceled, his Twitter got suspended. Okay, l- let's point that out. His Twitter got suspended. Not only his, but as, as of the recording of this episode, his company's Twitter, MyPillow's Twitter, has also been deplatformed. This is scary stuff. Why? Because he committed a thought crime. That's why. Because he thought differently than the um, the leftist agenda w- would want one to think. If you think differently, if you think that men are men and women are women, boom, play, deplatform completely for being offensive. Now you're going to be canceled. Now we have people going back in time, going back in time and canceling events, trying to rewrite history and things that really didn't happen. Mike Lindell was canceled. I mean, whether you agree with Mike or not, or you agree or you say, what, an election canceled? That's all conspiracy theories. Or if you're like, no, absolutely, it was somehow rigged or whatever you want to say. No one should stand for that deep platform of people's opinions. I mean, literally just for having a different opinion, he was completely deplatformed. And like I said, at the time of this recording, his company's Twitter is also it. So big tech are becoming more and more similar to Big Brother and becoming the thought police of social media. See, what is most alarming, though, is what Orwell calls doublethink. This you really have to pay attention because this is now coming to you and me. Because so far I was kind of talking like big picture, right? Like culture and social media. But this is you and me that I'm talking about. Doublethink was the party's goal to make everyone operate in this sort of mental strategy. You see, double thing, it's to define it, one could call it the peaceful coexistence of, of beliefs that are beyond of a shadow of doubt, logically contradictory. I'm going to say that again. So the peaceful coexistence of beliefs that are beyond of a shadow of a doubt, logically contradictory. Psych- psycholo- um, psychologically wise, it's called what? Compartmentalization. When you've compartmentalized certain things in your life that are actually contradictory, and uh, author Milton uh, Rokish gives an apt uh, description of this in his book called *The Open and Closed Mind*. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I really want to th- 
write this down because this is going to challenge you and it's going to challenge me and I might step on some tippy toes here. So watch out. This is what he says. In everyday life, we know many examples of doublethink. Expressing an abhorrence for, of silence and at the same time, I'm sorry, he says expressing an abhorrence for violence and at the same time believing it is justifiable under certain conditions or affirming a faith in the common man and at the same time believing that the masses are stupid. It's being for democracy, but also advocating that government be ran by an intellectual elite. It is be believing in freedom for all, but also believing that certain groups should be restricted. Such expressions of clearly contradictory beliefs will be taken as addiction of isolation in the belief system, meaning a final indicator of, of isolation is the outright a rejection of contradiction. When people say, oh my gosh, you're just being absurd. Those things don't contradict. Or, or when they, whenever they say, well, there are no true facts that are attainable and everything that is, is bias to contradict my, to contradict my beliefs. Well, we are living in a time like this. We are living in times of doublethink. And I'm going to give you some examples. And this might offend some people. And well, that's okay. If the shoe fits, well, I guess you got to wear it, right? I'm going to say a couple options here that if this is you, I, I, want that to I want that to really confront because it confronted me in the way that what are some beliefs that I've held that are actually contradictory, but I'm just ignoring that contradiction and I cannot actually believe in them both. So one is saying, I believe in free speech, but be okay when some people are censored and taken down for thinking differently. If you think you believe in free speech, but you're okay with Mike Lindell's Twitter being canceled, I'm sorry, you don't believe in free speech. You believe in some free speech, but you don't believe in all free speech. Let's take another one. You can say, I hate violence. It's never the answer. I abhor violence. Well, unless it was the BLM riots, unless it was the Capitol riot. Well, unless it was a reason, unless it was quote unquote reparations that caused that violence. Unless it was against the system, then okay, that's fine. Let's just not, you know, worry that it was like over a billion dollars in cost and cost the lives of many people um, that actually died because of those rights. Let's not think about that. It's just, well, I'm against violence, except if it's quote unquote, you know, um, against against the oppressor. Oh, I guess I, I'm going a little bit hard today. Or how about this? I support life. Yeah, at the same time, believe abortion is healthcare. Oh, I believe in science, yet you believe that men are women and women can be men. That a trans man, meaning a biological woman, is somehow actually a man or vice versa. Well, I want to elevate black voices for sure. Well, ex oh, except if they're conservative. Oh, if they're Larry Elder or Candace Owens. Ooh, no, no, don't, don't, don't elevate those ones. They don't represent the black community. But hey, if, you ha if anyone else represents the black community, but so much for that. Or how about I believe in reason, but then... You believe kind of this this critical race theory where objectivity itself is is white supremacy, or how about this? I will empower women, but you're okay with letting biological men compete in women's sports, or saying I'm a Christian, but you're living a life that's contrary to God's principles and you're living in sin. Oof, these are double think. And you know, there's a there's a verse here that I want I want to share with you before we wrap up. Because it is common now to live in contradiction. Instead of being intellectually honest and recognizing that they are contradictory things and that 
what we do is we start changing definitions. Oh, well, well sex is, uh, is, is a cultural construct. Well, until I need it to be biological, then I'll say it's biological. Or, or, or if not, we accuse the opposing viewpoint as bias, absurd, or, or the exception to the rule. You see, I want to read this verse, Ephesians 4, 14, 15, because this is going to give us the answer to, to today's problems of doublethink. This is this, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown and everywhere by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So what's the solution to not being tossed back and forth in this double thinking, in this contradictory way, saying we love Jesus, but we don't love people, right? Saying we love the life, but we're okay, we support abortion, and I'm okay voting for abortion. You know, I, again, I'm saying pretty harsh things, and you probably are going to disagree with me, and that's okay. I just want us to be intellectually honest, and then we can have a conversation about it. But it, we cannot be intellectually honest when we're saying yes to two contradictory statements. We have to decide what we're for, and then there we can take a step. Because remember, this is this. It says, instead, speaking the truth in love. That's the answer, guys. That's the answer. 2021, I have no idea what's, what's in hold for us. But every single time, culture is deviating from the Word of God. And at some point, we have to say no to culture and yes to the Word of God. We cannot say yes to both. There was a time when it was kind of lined up and we could have gotten away with that. But more and more, culture is deviating. And I want to stand in, and I want to stand on the word of God. I don't want to stand in culture. So ask yourself this question. What are some of the contradictions that you might be living? There might be none. And you say, well, this is an uh, informative podcast, but doesn't speak to me. That's okay. But are you living in contradiction? Do you have contradictory beliefs? Do you have one foot in culture or one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God? My question to you is, what will you do? Will you take the step? It's, you know, it's not always beneficial to say, to, to stand in truth. Actually, in today's culture, you might get deplatformed. You might get hate, whatever you want to call it. But if it's for me and my house, yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to stand in the truth of God. And I'm not going to practice double think. Because I don't want to be someone who's swayed back and forth by the philosophies and the cunning schemes of this world. Can I challenge you? Can I challenge you to take the step of faith and saying, God, I will stand in your truth even when it's uncomfortable. And even when everyone else will oppose me, I will stand on the word of God. This was a challenging episode, wasn't it? But you don't want to miss the next one.